0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm so glad you're able to join us this morning. Uh, Thanks for being here. And if you're listening to this later on, well, then welcome to Our Sunday School. We're glad you're able to be with us. So just a few uh, good mornings to some folks that I've seen that have already logged on. So the, the Arnolds, the Millers, hey, thanks Jessica for setting up room 206 at the Hickson Campus. We appreciate that. Uh, we've got uh, the Jonicas and the Barbers and uh, the Johnsons and Julia Gregg. So uh, good morning to everybody. It's so great to be able to, to be sort of ish with you <laughs> in this way. Uh, I, I do appreciate the ability to to stay connected in some way uh, as we go through this. Uh, as uh, my uh, one of the folks that I read, Mark Dever says, God's strange providence in this particular time. So, if you got your Bibles, we're in uh, Mark chapter nine, and uh, we should, Lord willing, uh, finish up this morning with uh, this section that we're in, uh, verses uh, fourteen through twenty-nine. So this week. Uh, we're looking at verses 28 and 29, and then kind of going back and doing a, a collective pull-in of all the applications and personalizations for uh, this section of Mark chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can be heading there. Uh, I would encourage you to also to go to OurSundaySchool.com and grab a copy of the handout. Today's handout uh, should uh, be the same handout as for the last three weeks, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll have a new handout and uh, that'll be available on the website probably this afternoon, this evening, perhaps tomorrow. Uh, Depends if I get a nap in this afternoon (laughs) or not, so we'll see. But uh, we'll read the entirety of uh, Mark chapter 9, and we will be in uh, Matthew's Gospel as well as Luke's Gospel this morning. So if you want to make sure you've got a copy of the entire New Testament, or at least the Gospels, that would be helpful for you as we go through today. So our question that we ask each week is what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far. And uh, I hope that this question is something that you think about often uh, and that you ask the Spirit to assist and uh, to make plain uh, what God is, is doing and working in you. Uh, I know that He is faithful to do what His Word has promised and uh, to speak to us is one of those things and it is it's a really beautiful thing. So let's read Mark chapter 9 and uh, we'll get started with the lesson. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. He said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Mark chapter 9. Well, I see some more friends have joined. So we've got uh, the Greggs from North Carolina. Hey, guys, welcome. Glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, yes. We'll be talking about that t-shirt later on this afternoon, or not this afternoon, at the end of the lesson day. Hopefully the lesson will not last until this afternoon. That would be a tragedy. Julie is vigorously shaking her head no on the couch right now. So I think she objects, as does Caleb. So uh, the clanging you hear is not our pipes rattling, but uh, something else that's occurring on the couch right now. So I wouldn't dare call someone out. And then uh, I see the McGarvey's are here, so welcome this morning, guys. Uh, and Erica Martin, fantastic, great. It's good to have you guys very much. So uh, last week we ended with verse 27. Sorry, I've got some clowns on the couch making faces at me this morning, so this is a lot of fun. Uh, last week we ended at verse 27. And, and just to quickly recap, so we've we've gotten to the point in the lesson uh, in this particular text in 14 through 29 where... Uh, Jesus, uh, James, uh, Peter, James, and John come back. They see the disciples. They've been arguing. Uh, there's a discussion. There's a dispute. Jesus engages. He heals the, the boy that has the demon, uh, casts this demon out. And, and now we turn to the private part of this lesson, the really behind-closed doors, where Jesus and his disciples have a conversation around what just happened. And I just want you to think about this setting for a moment, because undoubtedly you've had situations in your life where you've been in a relatively crowded space, where there's been something that's gone on that you might not have understood, but you knew you were going to have an opportunity to ask the person who did understand what just happened, what just happened. And that's really where we're at uh, emotionally and, you know, setting the scene as it is uh, in this uh, in this particular text so far. So if we start with verse uh, 28 this morning, this is a long handout, I'm scrolling down to it. So in verse 28, we see Jesus begin to transition from uh, this showing the disciples what he's up to to explaining to the disciples what he's up to. And he 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 vacillates back and forth in this space often in Mark's gospel, as he does in the other gospels as well. But Mark is one that plants little hints of foreshadowing throughout his gospel that give us a clue as to what's going to be happening soon. So in verse 28, And when he, this is Jesus, had entered the house, so this is just some place that they're at, right? When he'd enter the house, his disciples asked. Now this asked is in the imperfect tense, which means this is something that's repeatedly happening in the past. So this was not a, hey, how'd you do that one time only? This was over and over and over. So this was, this was uh, another example of what Jesus does. He doesn't always answer directly the question that he's asked the first time he's asked. And in many ways, and I think this verb uh, parsing is one, uh, in many ways we almost get a hint that Jesus has little children following him. Because if you've ever had little children around you, you know that when they ask a question, uh, rarely is it just one time. Uh, Many times it will be over and over and over and over and over again. So parents, if you have ever, uh, not in a... uh, uncaring way, but in a just-a-minute way, ignored a child's question, that's okay. I think we have a bit of an example from Jesus here. So the disciples asked him privately. There's not a, there's not a single Greek word that's used for privately here. It's two Greek words, uh, kata and idios, this idea of uh, down in a separate place. Uh, they asked him, why could... We not cast it out. So why, why couldn't we do what we just saw you do? Because you remember, if, if you know what the disciple's job is, the disciple's job is to do what the rabbi does. So they would have seen, accurately so, they would have seen their inability to do what they had seen Jesus do several times up to this point in the narrative of Mark as a failure on their part. There was something wrong. There was something they didn't understand. There was something they didn't know. There was something they weren't doing. There was some faith they didn't have. There was, there was something going on that limited them from being able to do what their rabbi uh, was doing. So they asked him, why could? And this word could is dunamai. This is the word that for power or ability. So why do we not have this ability to ekbala to cast this demon out? <clears throat> and then Jesus uh, does something that, that I would argue he does very rarely. In the Gospels, uh, no, not very rarely. It's it's infrequent. Uh, he answers the question directly, and when we read through verse twenty nine, I want to I want to go over to uh, Matthew chapter seventeen and then Luke chapter nine, and I want to read the other accounts of this particular text and see because Jesus actually says more than just Mark documents here, and for those of you that have read the Gospels, you're intimately aware that there's no single gospel that records everything that Jesus did and said. If that were the case, this would not be a book that we could hold in our hands, right? I mean, think about think about documenting everything that somebody said and did their entire life. Well, you you would I mean, it should be unfathomable amount of paper to to go through. I mean, one of the gospel writers even said the, the, the world couldn't contain all of the documents that would be needed to, to describe all of this. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's just, it would be too much, right? So I am, for one, very grateful. Uh, sometimes I'm not, but right now I am. I'm very grateful that we don't have every word and every action that Jesus ever did. We would have to spend a lifetime reading it and would never get a lifetime to worship and trust and adore and thank and be grateful for what he actually did. So God is is gracious to us in not recording every single thing, but he does give us several perspectives, and that's what each one of the gospel writers do for us. So uh, just FYI to that. Oh, and hello, uh, good morning to the Arnolds, to Barry Cole, uh, the O'Briens. Hey, guys, good morning. So we're in uh, Mark 9, starting verse 29 here. And he, Jesus, uh, said to them, now this is the aorist tense, which generally implies one time. Right, so they've asked repeated questions, and he answers one time. So perhaps again, good parenting modeling here, just maybe. And he said to them, "This kind, or this kin, this genus, this uh, the the if you remember your biology class in high school, uh, the genus in the species. This is a very uh, related word. This is something that the this type of thing uh, cannot." this is indicative, it's a fact, a statement of fact from the perspective of the speaker, cannot be driven out by anything. So you can translate this as by anyone, by anybody, or anything. So if you remember back to the question that the Father asked Jesus, there was a very specific word that was used, and it could be used as person, group, thing, And uh, Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that there is a reason, there's a driving force behind uh, the ability to do this. So this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And at this point in the narrative, this is the first time prayer has shown up in Mark chapter 9. And you might be thinking, like, where did that drop in? Did I miss that directive of Jesus's? Did I miss what he was doing here? Did I miss the command? Did I, like, where was that? Okay, so just pause with me. We're going to go to Luke, and we're going to go to uh, Matthew, and then Luke. And then we'll come back and look at where Mark uses prayer in his gospel. Uh, And it's actually a couple of more times than just the verses listed there because there are several different words in Mark's gospel for prayer. It's one of the, so I will say, this is one of the downsides and one of the dangers of studying the scripture the exact way that we are doing it here because the bracketed information after prayer only shows where that word for prayer shows up. Uh, This would be where a a resource like BibleGateway.com or a good uh, concordance would be helpful for knowing where the English word for prayer shows up. So you can kind of cast a wider net when you're looking for themes or concepts through a book. The, The approach that we've taken here on the handout is a very technical approach. Put your surprise face on, right? So let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. Good morning, Miss Cheryl. It's good to have you this morning with us. So Matthew chapter 17. So the transfiguration is actually recorded uh, in uh, Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And the story immediately after the transfiguration, where Jesus heals the boy with the demon, is also recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, which is very helpful for us, we get additional eyewitnesses. So I'm just going to pick up in 17 in Matthew 17, uh, verse 14. We won't read the account of the transfiguration again. But Matthew 17:14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly." For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then, we get to our verses today, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, a couple of things before we start to go to Luke's gospel. There are no contradictions in the Bible. What we have here are multiple eyewitness views of what was going on. Mark's perspective is that of Peter's. Uh, Matthew's perspective uh, is a different perspective. And that's okay. We, we like additional perspectives. This is actually one of the ways that we get uh, more comprehensive solutions in place when we are problem solving. This is one of the ways that we make sure that we have good answers for things that are challenging. This is one of the ways that we come up with better resolutions to issues that we're facing as we get a variety of perspectives looking at a thing and each person speaking into what they've seen and experienced in this space. That is that is really good and helpful. The Gospels themselves are an example of how diversity of perspective is, in fact, a good thing. Now. The beautiful thing about the specific gospel's diversity of perspective is that the Holy Spirit is governing and breathing through each of them to ensure accuracy of different perspectives. So not only do we have different perspective, but we have flawless different perspective, which is really helpful. So what we see here in Matthew's gospel is that we have additional words that Jesus spoke to the disciples when they asked him, why could we not cast this out? So here's what he said, because of your little faith. So in Mark's gospel, what does he say? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, what do we pray for? We pray in faith, believing that God can do what God has said he will do. So a lack of prayer is related to a lack of faith. I would argue that a lack of faith would result in a lack of prayer. Um, in my life, and it might be true in yours as well, there have been times where I have not had the faith that I should have about certain things in trusting and believing in God that he can and will do what he says he will do. And many times, one of the very first things that flies out the window is prayer. Well, if I don't, if I don't believe that he can do it, I'm probably going to stop talking to him about doing it, right? So Jesus is showing us through Matthew's gospel and through Mark's gospel the connectedness of these concepts of faith and prayer. And then we flip over to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. So the transfiguration starts in verse 28 and Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit starts in verse 37. So we'll read this whole text as well. Starting in verse 37 to 43. So Luke chapter 9. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. So additional information here. So this is even more passion coming from this man, but his only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. See how this is very consistent all the way through these three narratives. They could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy Gave him back to his father. So you see this beautiful restoration of relationship that Luke uh, focuses on here as well. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. And that's where Luke stops the conversation. There's additional details that go on in different parts where the disciples are arguing about themselves and uh, John's section where he asks Jesus, what do we do about the one who's not following us? And Luke doesn't address that. It's very interesting, right? Oh, I forgot. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you so much. I I literally have... I'm going to show you this. So here's my notes. I can see the Facebook stream and my notes. And I have a tiny little note right there so I can blow that up. Matthew 17, 21, plus footnote. Like I wrote that down and then I skipped it. I probably skipped it because it's too small for any human being to read it. Uh, and this is my challenge when I do this. Let's go back to Matthew 17 real quick. i look at the footnote. Matthew 17, uh, yeah, verse 20 ends with uh, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And then there's a footnote and the footnote says some manuscripts insert verse 21. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. So what likely has happened here is that you have a scribe. Uh, with, let me rephrase this. What has possibly happened here is that in the Greek text, as it has been uh, transmitted, you've had a scribe that's also familiar with Matt, uh, with Mark's gospel. He says, hey, we've left something out here. We should insert this in. And uh, the best manuscripts that the ESV are based off of uh, didn't include verse 21, which almost sounds backward because whoever is first to the punch on uh, defining what the verses are, if you find out later that maybe one of those verses wasn't as well supported in the original documents as you thought, <clears throat> it looks like you've removed a verse from the Bible. And this is a very common uh, accusation against modern translations, that they've, they've removed verses from the Bible. And the, the reality is the, the confidence that we have in those suspect verses is very low. They shouldn't have very likely been included in the first place. So this is a textual variant, but yet again what we see here is the ESV being very open and transparent about what they've done. Also, whether you include that verse or don't include that verse, that concept is still present elsewhere in Mark's Gospel. So once again, the textual variant doesn't change the theological understanding that we have about God, about our relationship with God, about salvation. These things are, uh, they could be quite uh, confusing at times, but they also can give us some confidence in the way that our English translations have been actually translated. So with all of that, we'll, we'll jump. So thank you, uh, Sherry, for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Thanks Mitch for typing that in. You also got to see all my crazy notes, so that's the way this works. The, uh, so let's go back to uh, Mark chapter nine, verse uh, 29. And if you look at the footnote at the end of verse 29, you'll see that some manuscripts add and fasting, right? So not only did the did that uh, potential scribe add in a verse in uh, Matthew 17, it's very possible that he added in the variant in Mark 9, 29. So this is, I mean, you see how variants can kind of compound a little bit. It's it's interesting study. But uh, let's go back to Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 35. And I want to show you how Jesus models prayer. Because I've mentioned this a few times as we've gone through Mark's gospel, but one of the things that Mark illustrates Jesus is doing is modeling or exampling something before he actually provides instruction on it, before he provides the framework or the specific details that a disciple, a Christ follower should know about how to do that particular thing. So in Mark chapter 1, verse... 35, so this is right after he has healed many. He's already demonstrated he can handle the occult. Uh, Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So at this point, he has called a few of his disciples, not necessarily all of his disciples at this point, but he's already, without telling them what to do here, modeling for them, this is what your rabbi does. Your rabbi gets up very early in the morning while it's still dark, goes out to a desolate place and prays. And had they been stellar, exceptional disciples, they would have been right there with him the entire time. So the fact that they have to go find him, this is marks against the disciples, right? This is just a, it's the reality that, that Jesus, and I'm, I'm thrilled that this was included, these types of things are included in the Gospels, because it provides me with a great measure of hope that those that are not perfect, those that are not flawless, are those that Jesus calls, this is really encouraging to see the disciples not get it right and Jesus continue to invest in them. Like this, is, this is a demonstration of God's love for his, uh, for his own. So then we go over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 verse 46 is where we're going. <clears throat> so this is after the feeding of the 5,000. So at verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, this is this crazy, ridiculous long day. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came... The boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. So Jesus goes up to pray, and the implication from Mark's words here is that he is praying for what very likely is at least an hour or two or several hours of prayer. So he's modeling this, even though he has sent the disciples away specifically here. So he's he's told them, don't follow me at this. But he has modeled solitary prayer for them, at least twice so far, certainly twice in Mark's gospel, very likely more than this because this was when the other gospel writers talks about how this was his habit. So this is something he has modeled for them and now he's going to do something explicitly that they could not do and they ask him a question and he points backward and says, it's because of that thing that you see me do. And at this point, you might think that they would go, oh, wow. We should get up early before dark and go pray. We should go to solitary places and pray. We should spend a tremendous amount of time alone with the Father and pray. And show me in the Gospels where that becomes their habit. It doesn't. I don't know why. I know it's hard. It's difficult. It's not convenient. It's not easy. But this does not become their habit. So once again, we see Jesus instructing the disciples... Very plainly, if you want to do this, you need to do this, and uh, this is not the action that they take. It's it's interesting, actually, what happens to them in the next couple of paragraphs in Mark's in Mark's Gospel in chapter nine. Uh, they go on arguing and fighting and bickering, and uh, not one of them is found praying. So we can relate to this, right? So let's take a look at some application points and some personalization points about this particular. Uh, text, and I'm, I'm really kind of going all the way back to uh, 14 through 29. So let's just make super clear statement. Uh, number one, application number one, Jesus is God, right? Only God can do these types of things. So what do we do with that? Uh, we worship him, right? We worship him. So Jesus is God and we worship him. Application number two, Jesus is the master teacher. If you want to learn how to lead people through example and word, Jesus' life is the example to examine. I mean, it is just unbelievable. From his, from his ability to play the long game, and that just in his physical life on earth, not even his, uh, the, the way that God has orchestrated all things in the universe, but his ability to, to invest and to sow seeds of behavior that many times will take years of observation before he calls on and says, "Hey, this is what's this is what I'm doing here. This is how this works. This is how the universe fundamentally works. It's incredible." So Jesus is uh, the master teacher. So we should study Him. We should study Him. Uh, number three, Jesus is greater than demons. Right. Once again, I'm just going to keep saying this: the devil is a defeated foe. We live in the already and the not yet. The already Jesus has accomplished our salvation, the not yet. It's not all over yet, but this is a beautiful time to live because we can look back and see what Christ has done. We can look forward and see what Christ is going to do and have utter and complete confidence in both. So what do we do with that? We trust him, right? We trust him. We trust the one who can go tell a demon where to go. (laughs) I mean, this is powerful stuff, right? This is absolutely powerful stuff. Number four, Jesus is uh, compassionate and kind. We see how he engages with the father who has got this child that is just so incredibly troubled. The physical, emotional, spiritual anguish that this family has gone through for their only child. I mean, this is just heartbreaking stuff. So, Jesus is compassionate and kind. What do we do? We thank him. Thank him for his compassion, thank him for his kindness. One of the things that you can do that I've always found a, a lot of fun, if you want to read through the Gospels and just be in utter and complete awe of Jesus, look for how He lives out each of the fruits of the Spirit. It'll blow your mind how He is a flawless executor of all the fruits of the Spirit because He and the Spirit are God, right? He and the Father, perfect communion. It's amazing. And then the last uh, item that I would say here, and, and there's many, many more of these applications and personalizations for Mark 9, 14 through 29, but the last one I will comment on is that Jesus is a peacemaker. He is a peacemaker. He comes into the middle knowingly. This is not a, he showed up and like, oh, there's an argument. Wonder what's going on, boy. No, that's not how this works, right? He knows exactly what he's going into, and he goes into it anyway. It goes into a situation where there is just all kinds of war. War between the forces of darkness led by Satan, who want to mar the image of God, and war between the forces of light, uh, between God himself. And uh, please understand, these are not equal forces. (laughs) There's God and then all of his creation. And it should not surprise us that God is able to make peace, not keep peace. Peacekeepers are different than peacemakers. Peacekeepers don't let an argument break out. Peacemakers walk into an argument and calm things. They bring peace. They bring truth that results in a peace. And that's what Jesus does here. He brings truth and power because we're talking about dunamai right? So you got to mention that. And, uh, and if our world, I would argue, <laughs> if you just look back on the news of this week, if our world needs anything we could use more peacemakers. So what do we do? Uh, We should copy him. We should emulate him. We should do what he did. We should be peacemakers. So in your daily conversations, in your daily walk, in your engagements, whether they be in person or online, look for ways that we, both individually and collectively, can make peace. How do we insert peace into situations? It's what Jesus does, and he reminds us that this is the way, and the way is through prayer. So, don't forget the prerequisites on the way to make peace, because these are the way these things are done. So, that's our lesson for today. Uh, As always, if you've got prayer requests, I would love for you to uh, put those in the comments. We would love to pray for those. If you have... um, an opportunity to uh, later today or sometime this week to engage in worship with us. We'd love for you to go to our uh, Stuart Heights Facebook page or YouTube account, or it's even on the website now. So there's three different ways to watch should one of them fail. And uh, i learning a lot more about the failure part every single day, I promise you that. And I uh, just want to say thank you again. We appreciate you so much, your engagement this morning. And uh, lean in, engage, pray for somebody that's not with you. And until I see you again, grace and peace to you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.